Welcome to Misadventures in Music, wherever you're listening in the world, whether it's Tubrook or Ear Cuts. My name is Mick Ord. My name is Ian Prowse. And we've got a different one today, haven't we? Because we're going to talk about One Hand on the Starry Plough, mainly. Yeah, we're going to do uh, my new record. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. So, um, before we start playing some of the tracks and talking about the album, Ian... Yeah. I thought we'd start with where you left off with Here I Lie two years ago. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because um, this this album, this brand new album, would have come out, if it wasn't for the world changing so profoundly, it would have come out, uh, you know, a long time ago. It would have come out probably the year after uh, Here I Lie. So uh, I'm on a bit of a roll. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll listen to um, one track off Here I Lie, and then we'll launch into the new album and uh, this is a song called The Ballad of North John Street that I think a lot of your fans will know yeah uh, well I lived on North John Street for 14 years and it, it's like a, a village within a city so I, I kind of knew everybody you know the the barber the local boozer where I used to go and have me dinner every day um, and also the fact that the street was so like badly bombed, you know, the whole of South John Street was obliterated. So, well, while you were there, no, in the war, oh. you know. So, uh, so the song itself, the verses are modern day. The uh, the bridge leaps back to the war, and the chorus unifies it all. And the middle eight looks to the future. So, it's kind of it jumps around everywhere, um, time wise. Which I thought, um, I've no idea where I got that idea, but um, but it, it worked really well when we when, it, when we came to finish the song. And made a cracking video as well. Yeah, yeah, the great Roger Appleton uh, did another lovely video uh, for us, which has gone really well. So, uh, and it's become one of my big songs, you know, which are, at my age is really lovely. It's it's the most easily the most uh, pleasing thing. Um, to be write something artistically relevant this late on, you know, I'm I'm aware that most artists are over and done with <laughs> within their first couple of records, and then everything after that is either you know a poor facsimile or or you know not half as good. But uh, I, I've I've taken the up Springsteen's mantle to be able to hopefully still do good music as you get older.
Okay, that was The Ballad of North John Street from my uh, uh, last album, Here I Lie, 2019. And, uh, yeah, that's a big old song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we threw the kitchen sink, <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh, up to Tony Kiley, my fabulous producer. And um, the, the, uh, the lovely trumpet there at the end. It's played by Joe out of Red Rum Club. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that, that. You've never really been afraid of sort of referencing uh, local place names from the Merseyside area, have you? You know, no. It's a it, uh, an immense. It's amused to me the city of Liverpool. You know, the area. It's it's definitely uh, amusing and inspiration, and uh, an, an endless, you know, uh, a reservoir of. Of ideas and interests, and in the same way as uh, Jersey is for Springsteen, Liverpool gets mentioned in some way in a lot of my songs, even if the song isn't directly, you know, uh, about something specific to do with the city. I think maybe in the seventies. I don't really know Ian what you think about this, but that there seemed to be, um, you know, British bands were quite happy to reference American cities, but they felt. Well, a lot of them, and, and it's not strictly true, I know. You can always think of examples where this is not the case. But there's, there has been, I think, a reticence, maybe in the past, maybe it's not true now, actually. There was a reticence about yeah. referencing names here. Well, I think that, you know, it, it's like uh, if you, American music, to mention a nickel or a dime is sort of romantic and poetic in American music. If we, if we mention pounds and pennies, it's not the same thing, is it? You know, or, 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 or like names of cars are very romantic in a, you know, yeah. a, a Trans Am or a, a Cadillac are often mentioned in American music. Whereas we, you know, when I was younger, there was no way on earth I was going to put Vauxhall Viva into <laughs> song, you know. Yeah. But Liverpool is, and probably London, are two cities, uh, the Clash did it a lot with London, obviously, where you, it, there's something about the places whereby you can directly mention them. Uh, my friend Miles Hunt from The Wonder Stuff actually made this point. He said, if you can do it about Liverpool or, or London. He said, I can't really do it the same way about, you know, where he was from, Starbridge and, and Birmingham. It doesn't have that, I don't know what it is, that same romanticism. Uh, which uh, which would almost certainly come from, you know, the fact that they're big seaports and yeah. Dockland areas and the fact that the whole world is in them at some point or other. Um, so then, you know, they're not parochial, are they? They're, no. They're open places. And, uh, yeah, so I, it, it'll always continue. I think I'll always write about what I see every day. Well, yeah, well you have done it on the new album, the first extract we're going to play from the new album and we haven't we're not able to play the full tracks but we will play extracts this first one is uh holy holy river let's play the extract and then you can tell the story about it afterwards okay because okay. it is interesting isn't it <laughs>
<laughs> okay, this is one of my favourite songs that I've ever ever written, and it came out really well. Again, Tony Kiley did a fabulous job. We uh, we have there's flutes, fiddles, a horn section blaring away, and um, and we have a gospel choir on the very long outro. Um, and I got the idea uh, for the song from something I saw on Facebook. I saw uh, uh, somebody had put up some just dry information about uh, a friend of theirs had passed away and they were going to spread their earthly remains on the River Mersey. So they, they put up some um, dry information about how they were going to do it, which basically said, or oh, meet at the Mersey Ferry you know, uh, terminal, buy your ticket, and then we get on the on the Mersey ferry, which is public transport. It's a public thing, uh, like a, you know, like a river bus, and um, and then uh, everybody who's part of the the party, you know, uh, meet at the back of the ferry, and then the ferry stops in the middle of the river, and the, all of this is just dry information that the person was given, and then there's a small ceremony, um, and the the person's earthly remains are thrown onto the river. And then the bit that got me, as it says, and then the vessel's engines uh, will restart and the boat will continue on its way. And for some reason, that just really it hit me, you know, um, because it's, that's the, that's the whole thing, you know, life and death is in that. We've got to pay our respects, but we've got to carry on as well, you know. And the idea, the reason that this person was was putting their, their friends' remains upon the river was to retain an eternal link with the city um, because the tides of the Mersey are so powerful and strong that if you get put into the river, you will go all over the world and you will visit every major seaport and every major, you know, area. That's a lovely idea, isn't it? It is. It's amazing, isn't it? It's so cosmic and celestial. And then, then you will be drawn back into the river at some point. So you're always visiting... It, it gets me now just thinking about it. You're always coming in and out and visiting and then you're going out again around the world. So I know when, it, when I saw the post on Facebook, it was, it, there's no emotion in it at all. You know, it's just really factual. But I think that kind of added to it. And um, so, and I remembered then about something that... Uh, an old hippie friend of mine had said to me years ago in Ellesmere Port, uh, he told me that the, there's lots of like uh, hippie areas in North Wales. Apparently it's a centre of power for the hippies. And uh, they all used to say that the, uh, the River Mersey is the Ganges of the West, a holy river, which I always loved, you know. Yeah, yeah. So this all then went into the song. And then as I was writing the song, I was uh, on a on the balcony where I live, just near the Scandinavian church in town. And it was a it was a September night and it was a clear sky, which is really rare in the city centre. And there, just hanging in front of me, was the starry plough. So, you know, and I live basically by the river, so the whole thing of the elements all hanging together and the eternal aspect of the river and life itself all came together in the song. It It's really interesting to hear how how you write the song, how you get your inspiration and you know, from different places, and then you remember what this hippie had said to you years yeah, ago and yeah, it all kind yeah. of comes together. It must have yeah. always been in there, mustn't yeah, it? Yeah. Waiting 
for the moment to to be lit and then come out as a song. Because as I say, this is a big song for me. Yeah. It's one of my favourite songs that we've ever done. And it hits the mark as a recording as well. Sometimes you're not so happy with the recording, but it, as we were going along, it really, all the ideas that we had worked. And it, and it contains within it this song, the title of the album. Yes. Which I really like as well. Well, let's get on to that, because <laughs> I decided to look up One Hand on the Starry Plough on... Um, I googled it to find well, yeah. what's he going on about here, you know? Yeah. And it's like looking through a prism. You can see so many examples of it. Because, not unsurprisingly with you, part of it was going back to... It was an Irish Republican symbol from it's, the from the War of Independence, or maybe yeah, it's before, an, was it, originally? The Starry Plough is a flag which is the an Irish socialist. So it's not so much a Republican, more okay. of a socialist okay. flag, which uh, James Connolly flew... Uh, during the uh, Easter Revolution in 1916 as the uh, Irish Citizens Army. They, they weren't, like, nationalists, they were socialists. Okay. Okay. But they joined up with the nationalists in order to put through the uh, Easter Rising. Yeah. And uh, so the, the story plough is that as well. I mean, that's just me being a clever arse, because <laughs> um, that's not what the, uh, the original inspiration was. The original inspiration is celestial, you know, the story plough. But also, actually got the phrase, one hand on the story plough, from uh, an American spiritual song, African-American song, called Eyes on the Prize, which uh, the term in that song is uh, one hand on the gospel plough. So it, there's that as well. So if you listen to the, uh, the, the whole outro, which we were kind of humming and ahhing, what should we do with this outro? Because we just recorded it. And then we just went, you know, leave the whole damn thing in because it really, it works. It goes on and on and on. It really works. And that's when the choir come in. So you have this sense of there's something about Liverpool and the city which is defiant, you know. So the bit at the end where we're singing, never give up, never give up, never give up. There's that sense of defiance which, which... uh, a lot of other cities just don't have who've been through the same sorts of troubles of Liverpool but didn't, like you're talking about uh, the Hillsborough Justice campaign or other, other like Bradford for example was a, with the Bradford fire there was a lot of things going on there a lot of injustices going on there but they just, they, they didn't know or didn't have it within them to organise themselves and formalise a... a uh, uh, you know, uh, a resistance to what the authorities were telling them, unlike Liverpool. Yeah. So that thing of never give up, never give up, never give up. And I remembered uh, when Liverpool, the, even though I'm a Tramway Rovers fan, I, the, the biggest game in Liverpool's history, arguably, if it wasn't Istanbul, was when they beat Barcelona 4 0 at Anfield to come back from 3 0. Oh, yeah, yeah. And their best player sat in the stands. And what's it written on his t shirt? Never give up. Mohamed Salah. Uh, he had that t-shirt on so I don't know if that was in my mind as well but the whole thing about it and it's just so gloriously romantic as yeah, well, it is. well and can I also say yeah. for the first time probably in the history of music somebody has managed to get the word Vladivostok <laughs> into, into a song yeah. and rhyme it yeah. and bastard out it <laughs> And not just Vladivostok, <laughs> Vladivostok, Valparaiso as well. Uh, yeah. So congratulations there. Yeah. 
I would. I, I could tell you something about that. Actually, I was. We'd been to uh, during the end of one of the lockdowns. We'd gone to Lake Como in Italy, and we were just getting on a plane to come home. And as this song was mulling in my head at the time, and my phone went off. And I'd usually write it into my phone. So my phone's gone off and I'm on a plane, so I can't charge it. So I, I tore out a bit of cardboard that I had in a bag and got a pen off the, uh, off the air hostess. And I wrote down the, uh, the lyrics. I wrote the song, you know, um, which I don't usually do. But I, and I wrote all the ideas. But the first thing I did was write down all of the seaports that I knew at the bottom. Oh, okay. You know, so it was Singapore, Dar es Salaam, some of them didn't make it. Uh, Birkenhead. New, Birkenhead. <laughs> yeah, 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 Wallasey. Um, New York, um, uh, Montevideo, Buenos Aires, uh, and I knew Vladivostok was a, was a seaport. And I wanted to make it truly global. So, okay. we're, so we're over there, you know. And I've also always wanted to go to Vladivostok on that train that takes about seven days to get there. You know, that, that one that goes across the Trans-Siberian Express. Yes, yeah, yes. I've always right. wanted to do that, so... Um, so yeah, I got that. <laughs> I well, like well you might get a few complaints from people in Singapore or Beijing. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. The next uh, extract we're going to play is from uh, No Trial. Again, having read the lyrics, a fascinating story. Okay. So you can come on the back of when we hear an extract from that. Okay. Repatriations in the stands from the pulpit I ain't even gonna think about it Just gonna sit here and watch them take you down For the castle in the castle of Konstein I, I can never hear this without uh, remembering the first time I heard the term no trial. And it would be said like this, no trial. And we've actually, the, the person who introduced me to the, uh, to the term, I got him to say no trial. He's a Greek guy called Panos. And uh, I got him to say it. And it's later on at the end of the song, you can just hear him at the very end just going, no trial. He says it with such authority. And the story behind the song is that I'd gone to see Springsteen in Berlin in 2005 and I'd met Panos and his lovely sister Marina through, through watching Springsteen and we'd meet up in various European cities and this particular one, we'd, we'd watched the show and we'd gone out for a few drinks and we were in some bar in Berlin and now Panos is an extremely knowledgeable political theorist who would leave me standing, you know, and I'd be, I'd feel like a complete amateur if I started talking about politics. Yeah. You know, people like that yeah, yeah, who yeah. know the structure of things and all of this, and you kind of <laughs> just go, oh, Jesus, I don't know what I'm talking about, you know. And it would be analytical. He was aligned with the, with the Greek CP, the Communist Party. In Greece, it's still a big deal between the nationalists and the communists. They, you know, they won't, they won't speak to each other in, in, a, in, a, in many instances. We were talking about the then political situation and I was talking I think about Kelvin McKenzie and how some people you know I was twittering on about they need to uh, you know have some enlightenment we need to educate them and blah 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 and he stopped me there in my tracks we'd been on the Jack Daniels for a few years, <laughs> and he wagged his finger at me and very seriously and with great authority he said Ian no trial 
and it was the way that he said it. Wow, it was, chilling. And, yeah, it was. Wow. And I just went, well, what do you mean? And then he went on to explain that, you know, um, come the glorious day, some people are so beyond the pale of right-wing uh, opinion that they are, there is no point trying to change them and that it would be a waste of precious resources, precious revolutionary resources and time and would be a complete distraction to have to put them on trial. In other words, yes, yes, up against the wall, yeah, yeah. and um, it's weird because this is 2005 when he told me the, the thing, and it was the force with which he said it which struck me. But as we've come along now to the years of 2020, 2021, and you see people like Toby Young on Twitter at the start of the pandemic basically argue that we should let old people die, it resonated with me. Is Panos's uh, you know, all over again, and it's because of they ha they have a platform now. You know, the alt right, the extreme right. There's a lot of it around. You know, and I, I guess what Panos was basically saying was, you can't be reasoning with them, or this this term where you have a let's let's argue with them in the marketplace of ideas. Yes, yeah. And yeah. he's basically saying, fuck that, we got to fight them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what the song's about, and there's a lot of. The song is littered with uh, references, kind of technical references from the Third Reich, which I picked up when I did my uh, my degree uh, in modern history. Things like uh, useless eaters, which the Nazis used about disabled people, and the T4 program, which was their very first program of extermination um, for for people they thought were useless to society. The song is shot through with that sort of thing, that sort of. So it's a really angry song, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you there. That is chilling, that no trial. It is. It's a, it's a great phrase, but yeah. it's, a, it's a chilling one too, isn't it? You see, it's kind of like um, every now and again, and, and it's not anything I'd use for just the Tories or something like that. So you can't go saying no trial about, <laughs> no, you know, no. uh, whoever. But there are people around of which, say Steve Bannon, for example, who are behind the scenes and pumping the world full of ideas which are really, you know, dangerous and they know what they're doing. Uh, and we, all, we, you know, we always wondered when you were a kid, didn't you? Uh, how the hell did, did Nazi Germany come to be? Yes. Now you can see the seeds of it in, in the modern world, I think. Yeah. You know, for the first time uh, in my experience. Next uh, extract we're going to play is called Dan. Dan. And it's named after... <laughs> yeah, Dan Donnelly. Dan Donnelly. <laughs> More about him in a sec. I'm, lo I'm looking forward to hearing yeah. that. I first met Dan on a mountainside. He was eating wild berries. He was barely alive. Says him to me, would you like to talk? I know everyone... Open every door Dan, Dan, you crazy man You're living in a car and I don't understand How could you make this happen for me? True to his word, it was done in a week What fine company Well, tank over here and he sang over there And he fell off the stage in So who is Dan Donnelly? <laughs> Dan Donnelly is a, is a friend of mine and um, he's famously been, is in The Levelers 
and he was in the Wonder Stuff. More importantly, he's a brilliant songwriter in his own right. He's a crazy guy. <laughs> he's a crazy guy, or he was when I when I met him. I mentioned him before, but the great Miles Hunt from the Wonder Stuff actually hooked us up. I went to visit him one time in uh, where he lives in Shropshire, and he picked me up from the station. He goes, "I'll take you to the pub now. There's this guy I've met. I want you to in- introduce you to him." And he goes around the country, and he lives in his car. He, we went to this pub, the Horseshoe in Shropshire, and uh, there's Dan, and he's from Belfast, so he's Irish, you know. He says, I'll drop you off in the Stiper Stones, which is a lovely, like, mountainous area near where they... He's going to uh, get to know each other. And then uh, we'll do a gig later. We were doing a, a little gig later. And uh, so we got out... Of, <laughs> I'll never forget it. We got out of uh, Miles's car. We start walking up the mountain, and Dan immediately stops by, like, a bramble bush and starts eating berries off the floor with this bush. And I was like, you all right, mate? What's going on? He goes... Oh, I haven't eaten for a couple of days. I'm starving. <laughs> I'd, ne- I'd never seen such as uh, was it subsistence, you know, existence. In there, I went. Why? And he goes, well, I just I go from town to village to town, getting in playing gigs. Whoever will have me, and then I just drink the proceeds, so I don't get time to eat. And I'm living in in my car, you know. And I'd, I've come back from New York where I did the same thing, and uh, so the first verse is entirely correct, you know. And uh, so I immediately liked him. You know, this is a... He was living a wild life of... Um, like, you know, like you imagine... You know, remember we were talking about uh, when we did uh, Anne Briggs? You oh, know, yes, they were yeah. just going from... Yeah. Just from town to town. And they really don't care where they sleep. Or they really this don't This was care. in one of our previous this podcasts. This one of our previous yeah, podcasts, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he was basically doing that for real. He's doing the real Woody Guthrie thing, you know. And he said to me... While we were uh, while we were halfway up the mountain, he re- immediately got onto the fact that I'm a huge Hibernophile, and uh, and I kind of knew stuff about Irish history that he didn't, and he's from the north as well, right. you know. So I'd be asking him what was it like during the troubles and blah blah blah, and uh, and he said, well, I he said I know everybody, I know everybody. I'll I'll book us a tour. We'll go. Me and you will do a tour, and we'd only just met, you know. Count me in. You don't have to ask me twice to go round Ireland, you know. So, a <laughs> couple of weeks later, he gets in touch. We've got a tour, six shows. I've got us booked in. Over those six shows, approximately 33, 34, 35 people saw all six shows. It was a disaster oh, from start oh, to finish. No. But immense fun going round <laughs> yeah. Ireland, you know. Were these see. big venues or were no, they? No, they were just people he knew in, you know, little venues, bars, blah, 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 at which he'd got his gigs in. The first gig didn't happen because he'd just fallen in love and he was doing the whole brief encounter thing at Lime Street Station <laughs> with this girl, chasing the, literally chasing the train, waving to her as it pulled out of Lime Street. Came to mine and we got over to Birkenhead to get the Belfast ferry and it was pulling away. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. He goes, don't worry, tomorrow's Belfast, it'll be packed, hometown. Got there, seven people, three of which were friends of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Night after uh, Cork, which is a six-hour journey down to Cork, Charlie's Bar, no one there but a couple of drunken, like, you know, tourists had come in who had no interest in my music or Dan's music, so I think we just played a load of Beatles songs. Uh, Day after, we were going down, down to West Cork, a place called Lep, and as we pulled into Lep, he said, oh, forgot to tell you, this venue's closed down. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So we just knocked on doors of a few locals and said, would you like to come and sit in them into this closed down pub and watch us? And they did, you know. Then um, I think we went up to Galway where we had our biggest audience of about 15, uh, the Roshan Dove there. And then that night we stayed he, he kind of had places for us to stay as well, which were the, no, not salubrious in the slightest. No, you surprised me. And f- all fragments of this journey are in the song, you know. Oh. And he, he, uh, he, when I woke up in the morning, we were in a place called Longford in the Midlands, and uh, we were surrounded by cannabis plants. <laughs> I said, where are we? Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, my mate runs a farm. So if the police come and raid now, we're fucked. <laughs> yeah. And he goes... Pretty much, yeah. All right, let's get out of it. <laughs> now, the other thing is, is that when we were in Cork, uh, in the times that I'd known him, he didn't speak a word about Irish history. Not a single word. It was me, yeah. you know, yeah. talking about it. Because I was doing my master's degree in Irish studies at this very time. So this is one reason why I wanted to go as well. And we went to where Michael Collins got ambushed and all this sort of stuff. We got drunk in Charlie's bar and got in a taxi. And he started arguing with the taxi driver you sold us into slavery you free state bastards and that was just going and I knew what he meant historically yeah. but I was going hang on where's all this come from <laughs> this <laughs> fellow's giving us a lift here <laughs> and I'd gone to the guy can you can you show us the place mate where the, uh, the part of the city that the British burnt to the ground never mind that these free stakers you know because the, the during the treaty of independence Michael Collins went over and they didn't get the North, you know, and they came back and said, we're just going to, the North is going to stay, you know, subjugated by the British. So the Northerners, who obviously then went through the Troubles and all that, once Dan got drunk. <laughs> oh, my word. Oh. So there's a, there's a line in the song, um, uh, in Cork City, Dan dissed them with Michael Collins. He called Michael Collins a traitor or something like that. Uh, and then we got run out of town because the, the, the guy was, <laughs> the taxi driver was like, you know, don't diss Michael and all of this. So it was. Uh, there's a full song to be written there somewhere about all of the details of that journey. There's a film. There's a book. There's a film. <laughs> so there's a statue to Don. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, so, Dan. Dan. So then, so when we got to um, uh, uh, when we got out of Longford, I got okay off to Dublin for the final show and looked at. Oh, Dublin's been cancelled. Oh, I'm going home. <laughs> So suffice it to say, Dan will not be your promoter <laughs> for the next for the next tour. Well, actually, Ireland. you say that. Funnily enough, he now runs a fabulous venue in um, in uh, Sunderland with a, with a guy out the Future Heads, uh, a great fella, and uh, it's called the Peacock, and it's it's really happening. And we, I'd played there as soon as lockdown ended, and it was sold out. And uh, Dan appeared to be have his act together. So uh, yeah, lovely. What a shame. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he'll, uh, there'll be more. There'll be more. I'm sure the next song isn't related. Um, it's called Swine. Hopes that they die out on the ebb and 
the uh, as the song goes on, it's the first time we've ever gone there with the Springsteen saxophone sound, <laughs> which right. I had to talk Tony Kiley into doing. He's never let me do it before, uh, <laughs> as an aside. So I was thrilled with that. Um, the, at the beginning of the track, there you can hear a crowd noise. That's the uh, anti-fascists in Lime Street Station when the Nazis came in. Oh, I remember. I yeah, remember and they that. they hid in the in the lost luggage. Uh, I think it was National Action. Uh, fascists came into town and everybody gathered to run them back out of town again. So that's live oh, right. um, uh, from there. So this is part of a brace of songs of which No Trial is the other one, which is a reaction to the, you know, the rise of the extreme right. That's what this one, it's another angry rock song, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the next one is called Go Livio. Yeah. Do you just want to tell us a story about that and then we'll play the extract? Because this feels to me like a very upbeat um, song full of hope. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny, this one, because everybody heard, who's heard the album, apart from the kind of obvious ones, they really like this one. They've picked up on this one. I got the idea for the song from uh, my partner. Her friend came to stay, a lovely girl called Julie. And she's, uh, she's actually from York, but she spent a lot of time in Liverpool. And now she lives in the French Alps. And she came to stay with her little boy, uh, whose name is Livio. So it's kind of on the French-Italian border. And Livio is an Italian name. He came bounding into the room in the morning, a little blonde face, smiling and singing and dancing in a way that you don't really ever see children doing. You know, they're usually around complete strangers, really quite shy. Yeah, and he yeah. was like that, you know. And he came in, and I had my guitar by the side of my bed, which is quite usual. And I was just, like, singing songs, and he was dancing and singing whatever I was singing. How at. old was he? He was about four. And I was taken by his lovely, uh, open spirit. And, of course, I knew that the adult world was swirling around him, which he didn't know, which was without giving anything away about their personal lives, but it wasn't good, you know what I mean? They'd split up, basically, his mum and the father. And, uh, so it, was, it just struck me that here he was full of openness and just, you know, on his life's journey beginning and, and uh, such a beautiful little boy was this serious and, and you know, potentially upsetting adult stuff was happening and uh, I just thought that deserved a song because uh, and, and it was also I guess in in honour of Julie uh, his mum it must be so hard for her to be on her own and do it in, an, in a foreign country I, I just kind of wrote the song in honour of her really that's what it's really about has she heard it yet? yeah she did she's she's so sweet she's just like oh no I don't I'm, no I'm not I'm not an archangel. No, she, she, she wouldn't. You know, she was. Oh. She's a bit like that about it. But it's there forever now. So of I, course, you know, yeah. what a thing! He, he'll be able to listen to it sometime in the future if he's feeling yeah a bit down or so. And it'll, yeah, that's an amazing, amazing uh, gift. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's turned out one of the really nice ones off the record as well. Father was MIA. 
But his mom gave him a love that would put an archangel to shame. Uh, yeah, when I brought that song in to Tony Kylie, it was fast. And he went, no, 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 no. Change the key. Give me something. He said, this is this will be a really nice one. You, you just got to do this. And we just sat opposite each other and worked out uh, what we were going to do with it. And uh, like he always is, he got it absolutely spot on. Because it's kind of a, it's a funny little song. It's slightly country-ish. Nice but, tempo to it, though. I yeah. think he, it was definitely the right decision. I think so. Um, the, um, I'd been listening to Wondering Star, Lee Marvin, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where they from Paint Your Wagon. Yeah, from Paint Your Wagon. That that kind of whoa, that was that was inspired by uh, uh, the Wandering Star, which oh, I love. Right. And me and our Rosie always play it. Oh, uh, lovely. she loves it. Yeah. She goes, "How does he sing so low?" <laughs> you know, she never heard anything like it. And what a what a great song, you know, a great piece of music. Oh, it is, yeah. That's the film where Clint Eastwood sings as well, isn't it? Oh, is it? I, t- I talk to the trees. Really? <laughs> yeah. The, the flip side of Wandering Star is I talk to the trees by Clint Eastwood. Okay. And we're never going to play it. <laughs> yeah, lovely. <laughs> and perhaps significantly, the next song we're going to play, an extract from, is called He Sings, I Cry. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, got a bit of everything in this one. I want to play all that song, but I know I know we can't. Yeah, I know yeah. we can't. Uh, yeah, that's the final song on the record. That one, um, and it's a bit of a melting pot of basically kind of everything that I'm about, really. In a way, you know, uh, El Comandante gets thrown in there. Uh, Celtic Soul gets thrown in there. We have a horn section which comes blaring in in the middle of the song, and then we have a little bit of uh, of. Uh, Bert Lancaster that ends the track from my favourite film Local Hero All right. uh, which he's talking about the Aurora Borealis which obviously um, ties in with the uh, Starry Plough so that's why the very last bit is uh, is Celestial lovely stuff yeah. lovely stuff yeah well we are allowed to play one of the songs in full from um, yeah. the, the album Battle because yeah. that's a single isn't it yeah 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 that, uh, that came out in uh, December and uh, we were just uh, bowled over by by the reaction to it, and I think it's—I don't think I've ever put out a song. What's the process in? What's what was the process to choose that as a single? I think that when we when we were working on the record, this was the first song that I sent to Tony Kylie to say, well, you know, let's start to think about making a new album, and this was the first one I sent to him, and he got on the phone immediately. He goes right we know what we're doing this is a, this is a really strong song and we we knew very early on we wanted a choir on it and because um, it's a song of like joyous defiance almost and we'd never really done anything like this before you know we'd broken a little bit of ground for for ourselves uh with this song it, i've never ever put out a song which has been so perfect for the times that we're living in you know what i mean it's so 
and I'd kind of formulated it, finished it over the, the whole lockdown. And I played it on one of my Friday night lockdown shows, which I broke a personal rule to do that. I never play new songs unless people hear it for the first time how you want it to hear it. But I just thought that we were in such unusual times. I'd play it, you know, live to everybody on the Friday night and just see what sort of reaction we had. And it was great. So that then we actually released the song in its full glory. We, we just had a, you know, people really got onto it. So it's been lovely. Fantastic. And is, is that something now that you might try in future that using, using a, a live Facebook gig to... Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe. Um, you know, I wrote all these songs in a, in a specific time, which is something I've never done before. There's always been a song from an album which has been from somewhere else or not quite finished or whatever or changed. These 10 songs are just from this time, you know, so they're very, they're authentically of this era that we're in. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, you can, you can detect uh, what's happened to the world in the background of, of some of the music. And I think that, I don't know if this is ever going to be the case again, but uh, it, it, uh, and now my slate is clean. I have nothing, you know. So it, it's it's exciting and it's daunting. So uh, we'll just see. Justice ain't a virtue. Justice ain't a headline. Kind of just as you want You get it down despite minds Got a shadow on my shoulder Caught up in the crossfire I'm wiser now, I'm older
different battle every day. Different battle every day. Different battle every day.